Today's podcast gets into some emotional territory. So if this triggers any issues for any of our listeners, please contact Lifeline on 131114. Or Beyond Blue on 1300 224636. Hi everyone, my name's Phil Hayes-Brown and welcome to the second episode of Invisibility. And my co-pilot again is the great man, Don Elgin. Hi, Don. Hi, Phil. Hi, folks. I tell you what, this one is a cracker. I'm so excited about getting into this journey we started in our first episode. And of course, we said we'd speak to some great guests. This time we've got Colin Hisco on. And Colin, of course, lives with a different uh, ability and is going to share with us some real insights about life through in his shoes and, of course, uh, his journey getting to Australia, because as we know, Colin's not one of us, Phil. He's come from abroad. This series is about getting to understand the the community with an intellectual disability. Yeah, disability is a big tent. We know there's lots of tribes in it, lots of camps, but we want to really lift the lid on the ID community. So who better to talk to than, than a man who's lived with an ID and knows exactly what it's like. So Colin, thank you for joining us today, mate. How are you? I'm good, thank you. Thanks for having me. Mate, it's great to have you. And of course, it's these COVID times that keep us separated. Otherwise, you'd be in the studio with us. So uh, thank you for Zooming in, mate. That's okay. Now, Colin, let's start with your journey to Australia because everyone's going to hear the accent there. So you're a, you're a two-pound pom. Well, uh, first of all, it's a 10-pound pom. 10-pound pom. Uh, oh, there you go. Uh, that's inflation, Phil. <laughs> <laughs> Colin, tell us about, um, so you came over in the 60s, I think, is that right, to Australia? So um, I was born in, in England uh, and um, uh, I lived at number 92, Cardinal Crescent, Jewsby Road, Yorkshire, Leeds 11. Uh, <laughs> I was 12 years old when I came and the reason I could just rattle off my address like that, mom, my mother and my grandma uh, drummed that into me every f- just about every five minutes. So if ever I got lost, all, mm. all I had to do was say, "Okay, I'm Colin Hisco. I, bo- I live at number ninety-two Cardinal Crescent, Jimsbury Road, Yorkshire, Leeds eleven. And what bus do I need to get? Oh, sorry, <laughs> and I need a number. I think it was number nine or eleven bus. Where do I go to get it? Um, and, and like you were just saying before, then. Uh, unfortunately, um, well, unfortunately for me, because I didn't want to come, but I had no say in it. Um, we we came out on the on a on a ship uh, to Australia. Um, it was uh, SS. I think you call it Orion, O R I O N, um, and that was a really a really uh, good cruise. Um, the only one bad thing that I didn't like about it was that I was walking around the deck in, in my bathers looking for the swimming pool. And uh, <laughs> then this guy, this guy picked me up in his arms, took me to the swimming pool, and then just threw me. Luckily, somebody seen him, seen him and come to save me. And just before <laughs> he, he, uh, he threw me, I was saying, I can't swim, I can't swim, put me down. He said, well, now's your chance to bloody learn, and just threw me. Um, but that was really good. Uh, one of the best parts for me was uh, I met this French girl uh, on board the ship. And um, I don't know what you call it, probably love, poppy love. Uh, I have no idea. Uh, I had things going around in my head. I didn't know what I was feeling. I had pains in my stomach. I felt sick. 
I was spending every every time every chance I could get with her. Uh, <laughs> yeah. We we just made a ticket to escort her to the pictures. So I said, yes, okay, I will. Anyway, uh, I, I introduced her to my mother and told my mother what I was going to do. She said, what time will you be home? I said, oh, about 11.30 by the time I walked the lady back to her cabin because I was wanting to be a gentleman. Anyway, she said, yeah, okay, that should be all right. Eight o'clock the next morning, we, 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 I rock up. Mum's just about having bloody kittens thinking I'd fallen overboard. Anyway, after her yelling and screaming at me, then she started to belt me. And then I was saying, well, now all that's out of your system. I want to go out with her again today. You can imagine <laughs> what my mother's answer was. She said, yes, unfortunately for me, but I had to be back by 5 p.m., not 8 a.m. the next morning. And um, I was really heartbroken when she got off the boat uh, in Fremantle. See, those, um, were the, those were the days those boat trips used to take a while. How many, how many weeks or days did it take to get out here, mate? My memory, and I could be totally wrong, we left on July the 12th, I think it was, and arrived August the 16th. Wow. Uh, we arrived at Port Melbourne Docks in Melbourne. That's a great time for a, a little love affair, a little uh, French oh, girl I'll on, tell on you, the boat. I was hey, head over boat. heels. I had no <laughs> idea what was going on with my head and my body and everything else. Colin, I don't want to put too fine a point on it, mate, but that's love. Make no mistakes. That's a wonderful thing. Now, speaking of big experiences in your life, you've obviously learned a fair whack about different abilities. And now tell me, how's that affected you? How's your life been different as a result? Well, I suppose, I suppose two things. One is that I found out from uh, one of the hospitals that uh, the um, um, oh, the one in Heidelberg, I just can't think of its name. Uh, I thought I got a when I went back to see the the doctor in the rooms, and was he was looking at my file and everything. And he was saying, hmm, I see you've got a mild intellectual disability. Hmm. Well, I don't know if I can do anything about that, but never mind. So I found out that I had a mild intellectual disability. I always felt that I had something uh, because mm -hmm. I used to get really angry and aggressive. I used to be banging my hands against brick walls, doors, whatever. But since then, I had, a, I had a really, really good friend uh, because my mother ended up with, she was riddled with cancer and I was like her carer and I couldn't do that anymore. Not that I didn't love her. The reason I couldn't do that anymore was I couldn't make the decisions they were asking me to make. So for yeah. an example, your mother can't look after herself. She's got to go into a nursing home. We need your permission to do that. And I just couldn't put my mother in a nursing home. Um, she's been my mother for goodness knows, well, I'm 70 years. Uh, she's been my, my mother for so long. She brought me up. She was with me through hard times, with me through sad times as well. Uh, and, and when it came time to make those decisions, I couldn't. So I asked a really good friend, and she took that on. Um, and uh, she used to talk with my mum. My mum used to talk with her. And uh, she promised my mother that uh, as long as she's alive, she'll make sure that I'm okay and that I get all the support that I need to get. 
Wow. Unfortunately, she's now passed away. I miss them both very much. It's like now I've got nobody. It's like when I first came to, when I, when I started living by myself, it was like, I've got nobody. I've got no friends. Well, I've got friends, yes, sure, but you can't go talk to them because they've got problems the same as what you have. And it was just too difficult and too hard to talk about your own personal stuff and how you were feeling and things like that. Colin, thank you so much for sharing some of that with us. I think that gives us a great feel for um, for your journey so far. And I know that you were put in some really tough positions and you needed friends around you to, to try to make some of those big decisions. And you spent some time, didn't you, on a, on a farm and uh, in an institution oh, yeah. as well through that time. So that was some tough years for you through there. Can I tell you a little story about that? It was in Tarolgan. We, uh, I think it's just a little bit out of, uh, not Tarolgan, um, uh, Tatura, which is just a little bit outside of Seymour, I think, or somewhere up there. Um, Shepparton, sorry. Uh, and oh, it was horrible in there. One day, one day um, the, the rest of the boys were, and I were all digging these parcels for fences. And this particular day, I got shoved upside down in the in the, in the hole. I won't say anything else much more, but all I'll say, and you work out the rest yourself. I was mm. very, very sore. When I went mm. and reported it to the boss, manager, whatever you want to call him, oh, stop being a suck. Get on with life. Mm. Remember the other little story is I was having to mow the launch, which I didn't mind doing. And um, I was mowing the lawns, and all of a sudden, I had to stop because there was a, a, a bit of a rock uh, in, just near the wheels. So mm. I, I bent down to move the rock, and I didn't realize that lawnmower was on a bit of a hill. And, of course, when I went to move that rock, you can imagine what happened. The end of my finger cops it, and the end of my finger was um, was a, it got about halfway through my finger. Anyway, the, the landlord boss, whatever you want to call him, he wanted to chop off the end of my finger with a razor blade. Now, I said, no bloody way, you're not going to do that. Anyway, and I'd, I'd run away from the home a couple of times. And he threatened mm. to, cha- to chain me to a ball and chain so I couldn't get away. Convict days. Crikey. And then another time, he belted me from the back of my neck right down the back of my back, right down to the bottom of my legs, right near my ankles. I was black and blue all over. How do I know? Well, one of my roommates told me. And then I rang up the, I rang up the minister of the boys home where I used to, where I was. I rang up my mother. I rang up the social worker. I rang up a couple of friends. Nobody believed me that I had bruises from the top of my neck to the back of my legs. And I just said, well, come and have a look for yourself. Oh, we haven't got time. So just things like that for for people with a disability and people with a disability being mistreated and being abused in in ways. Wow, that's really, really powerful stuff. And thank you again for sharing some of those really traumatic times. And we certainly don't want to re-traumatise you around all that because you've come through that now. You're out the other side. So, so um, let's talk about the world today, Colin. You've seen a, yeah. you've seen some really tough times over the years. 
and you've seen change. Uh, I'm sure the change has come more slowly than you would like, but it, it is a, a different world today. Do you think we, we're making progress, mate, with um, how how the world runs these days for people with disabilities? I think I think we are. I really do think that we are. But I also believe that there's a lot more that needs to be changed. Uh, and a lot more needs, a lot more discussion and debating needs to happen and to take place. Um, the reason I say that, uh, yes, it is for me anyway, is that the institutions are now closing. Uh, mm. I've, I've been told that there is no more institutions for people with a disability in Victoria. I don't know how mm. true that is, but yeah, uh, yeah, but. It, it's good that there's, if it is, that there's no more. They've all shut and closed down. My only issue and problem with that is where, okay, this institution is going to close down. Well, we'll say um, uh, Timbuktu in Frankston is going to close. Yeah. Okay, there's a hundred residents. But I think you need to... To, to sit, to talk, to discuss, to debate, who in that, who out of those hundred people is going to move, and where they're going to move to, what supports yeah. are they going to need once they move, and that that is happening, and and that uh, that is slowly improving, but I still believe in my heart that things need to improve, things need to be uh, need to happen. Um, I'm used to calling them group homes, uh, community residential units. I don't mm. care about any of the terminology that the government wants to use. To me, yeah. they're a group home. And to me, a group home is a mini institution because you've got mm. at least four or six people in there. So it's yeah. got to be an institution. Um, and we did a project not long ago, and we found out we found out from one of the residents that they could not. Uh, they'd gone to the resident, they'd gone to the staff, sorry, and asked to buy a new TV for their room because they wanted to watch different programs. Well, mm. no, 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 you can't, you can't do that. No, we won't allow mm. it. Mm. So why can't you just sit down and discuss rather than say no? Why can't you just sit down and say, okay, Colin, why do you want a TV? I'd like yeah. a TV because I'd like to watch my own programs. I don't like some of the programs the other residents, residents yep. are watching. And I've just got my own TV. I want my own stereo. I want my own furniture to see yeah. on. And then, okay, Colin, I, I hear you saying that. Now, what we need to do now is where is the money coming from? Yes. Now it might have to yeah. come from my package or, or wages that I'm getting, yeah. but I do not have enough to to buy that TV. I need to to save. So there's a discussion, there's a yep. debating, there's coming to an agreement without without just saying no, yep. no. No, you can't have it. Get your room. Yeah, no, you're right. And one of the for the for the listeners or viewers out there, um, under the old system before the NDIS, if you wanted to move into a you know a supported accommodation setting of some sort, you had to apply and sit. Your, your name sat on a list for a long time, right? And then only when they built a house and provided the support money, uh, your name was called if okay. you like. So you get a phone call. You might have been on the list for five or 10 or 20 years 
And suddenly they say, your number's up. Do you want to live with these other people who are also in crisis, if you like? Right. They're strangers to you. You don't know who they are. And then a provider would be given the job to try to make that work. So that was not a very attractive system. You can understand why. Um, but, Colin, under the, under the NDIS, one of the really exciting parts of that is that everyone has their own funding and if they want to live by themselves or they want to live with a friend or someone they know, um, they're, they're going to be able to do that and have lots more choice around it. Are you, uh, it's early days for the NDIS, but do you think that's a, that's a major change, isn't it, for people to have some real choice and control? Yes, I think it is. But I also think there's still problems with the NDIS. I know of two friends. The first one, uh, be, because of her disability, needed special socks or stockings or whatever you call them. You know, they're really tight uh, around your leg. Uh, and and, the, and uh, the person that she was talking to, no, nah, you haven't got enough money for that. No, nah, you can't have them. No, 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 no. But she's mm. now got them because she kept on fighting and fighting. The other person... Uh, applied uh, to to be to get an NDIS package, and she got told, "No, you're not going to get one. You're not disabled enough." Mm. My problem that I've got, or my issue that I've got, sorry, is that I don't know if this is the way it goes. So I could be totally wrong, but my understanding is that you're in a room with uh, with a doctor or or somebody that's going to assess you. And say yeah. yes, you can get that. You can get an NDIS. No, you can't. Is the support that you're going to need, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. How in the hell is somebody, whether it be one person or whether it will be fifty people? And I know I'm being silly when I when I say fifty people. How many? How? How? Uh, how are they going to know what you want and 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 you, about your disability? Uh, mm. Just. A, they don't know you from a bar of soap, and B, they're making assumptions on what they can see right at that particular time. So you might be having a really good day today, and your disability yeah. is, is, is not severe. So you go for an interview. You're going in there, you're happy, you're smiling, you answer questions, rah, rah, rah. Oh, no. You're, 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 you're too high-functioning. You look high-functioning. You're answering our questions all right. You're not going to get it. Now, mm. you could go in again on that second day and your disability is really bad and they can see that you've got a disability. They can see that you've got need help and support. You're right. And, um, and the man on my left here, Don, you have a plan yourself. Yeah, yeah. I, um, I found a, a quite interesting, Colin, going through that same experience as a leg amputee and, you know, who's somebody who's very independent and prides myself throughout my entire life. I've, uh, I've grown to the belief that I didn't have a disability and I could do anything that anybody else could do. And then all of a sudden, I need to have goals around, um, you know, what I'm going to do with my life and what type of funding I'm going to get. Um, and, and so those experiences are, are quite, um, well, they're new for a lot of people. Anybody with a disability goes through that and the families that go through that. My advice would be to be really honest with how it is. Um, sometimes we sugarcoat it because we think we should be braver than or we should put on the, the great day. I think if we tell it and we can share with our OTs, our occupational therapists or the other people that are there to support us through this process and we tell them about the good days but also the bad days 
and uh, and to be able to get support to write, uh, you know, to get the right support. It's certainly not easy, mate. I don't envy anyone that goes through that process, particularly at the end of it when a decision is made. If I could say anything, the best thing about it is that it's reviewed every year. Um, of course, if you if you know that it's right, then you can choose for a review to be pushed out to yeah. two years or three years. Um, but the wonderful thing is that there's also a right to challenge the uh, the process yeah. if it's not right. And, of course, people like yourself, Colin, that are advocating for people with disabilities to get the best outcome. Can you tell us a bit more about that, mate, the, the work you do with Reinforce? Uh, so in uh, 1992 uh, was when I first joined Reinforce. Uh, I was uh, I was at a conference and um, I heard people uh, with disabilities speaking up and telling their story. And what got me was that um, it was almost like their story was my story. My story was their story. So it's almost like we had similar things. And it, it just felt like, like a big boulder of being taken off my shoulder. And at last I was free, free to do what, what it was because there was another group there that I could go to. We could talk, we could do things and we could battle, battle the system. One of the things that Reinforce uh, are, are doing at the moment is that we're, we're concentrating on training and um, we're a strong believer on, on training and tr trying to train people uh, with an intellectual disability. Uh, to know that they have the same basic human rights as anybody else in the community. Uh, and one of the things I don't understand is why sometimes we can't get that just because of our disability. And I think that is discriminating. Um, at the moment, we've got a, I think it's a two, three, uh, three year pro, uh, project that we've got funding uh, to do through ALC, Individual Linkage Capacity Building. And uh, we're looking at making a training unit at Reinforce and making uh, some new videos around training. Uh, and the reason that we're thinking of making new ones, the ones that we have, have got now, they're that old. Yes, they're still being dated. Yes, people can still relate to them. But I, I think that we just want to try and get new resources. One of the reasons we started this podcast series is because, Colin, we hear a lot from advocates um, in the disability space, and uh, but not many of them have an intellectual disability, right? Not yeah. many of them do. And one of the, my daughter, as you know, Colin, from our, our, our conversation earlier does, and Phoebe is non-verbal, right? Yeah. And so there's lots of different groups inside the disability tent. Um, Don, thinking back to what you said before and what Colin was saying, how hard it is to assess what's reasonable and necessary. I have a lot of sympathy for, some sympathy for the scheme because, uh, you know, what's reasonable and necessary for Phoebe? I'm not sure I even know. I've got a view, <laughs> but what's reasonable and necessary? You can walk in with your disability, Don, and you, you and I are mates, so I can say this, but it's pretty clear what you got. Sure. Yeah? Yep. And you're articulate, you can state your case and you can answer your questions, and <gasps> Colin, you're very articulate too. Phoebe is non-verbal. Right. Yeah. Okay. You know, so how the assessors figure that out. I mean, there's only five, there's only room for 500,000 people in the scheme. There's only $22 billion. That is a tough job, yeah, that they have. But um, Colin, back to the advocates. I want to ask you because we hear a lot from other advocates, usually with a physical disability, 
um, about how they think the world should work. And, and a lot of people want to see greater inclusion of everybody in the, in the same event, um, whether that's the Paralympics or the Special Olympics or special schools or whatever it is, there's a lot of people out there who want to see more inclusion. And, and I, I love that idea and I want to see that idea as well. But sometimes I don't think it's as easy as people think. Can you tell us that story that you were telling us before about that big conference you went to? Oh, and, uh, yes. How you yes, felt, yes. How you felt about that? Uh, it was somewhere around about 90, um, I'm not sure, 96, say, some, somewhere in the mid-90s. Uh, and it was a conference that was in in uh, Canada, in Toronto, Canada, and we mani managed to get funding to go across. I lived in South Australia at that time, and I was working in South Australia, and uh, I managed to get to the conference uh, with our coordinator, and I was one of the guest speakers there. Uh, but the part that really got to me and got to everybody else. Um, you can imagine, um, I was just talking before to, to Phil uh, about this, and um, you could just imagine somebody like the MCG, maybe not quite that big, but similar. Uh, you can get about, what, 9,000 people in there, roughly. Um, now, if you use that as, uh, if you've got that vision in your mind, and then there's X number of people with a disability representing their country. Yeah. And they're all outside, standing outside, waiting for these double doors to open with their flags. Anyway, I get really emotional, I apologize. Right. You can just imagine, say like, for an example, there's Af Af Afghanistan and then there's Australia and we're walking in that room together side by side. The Afghanistan person is waving their flag. People in the audience, there's about five, 500 people in that audience yelling, screaming, clapping. It's like you were saying before, Don, the, about the noise that when you were coming in as a Paralympic, the noise was just deafening. Um, and then when you got to the to the where the stage was, one had go left and the other go right. And then you walk right around the outside, waving your flag and everybody yelling and screaming. And then when everybody had been through all the, the countries that got through, we're, we're all face we're all facing each other and our mm. flags were crossed. I'll tell you what, out of about five hundred people. I guarantee there would have at least been 500. I could be wrong, but there was a lot. Out of that 500 people, all you could hear is, <laughs> and that's all you could hear. There wasn't one dry high in that house, including me, and I'm just about to do it again. wonderful thing that, that Colin touched on. We talk about inclusion of how important and, and in a beautiful world everybody would be included but the reality is if we had that we wouldn't have those experiences. We wouldn't have the Paralympics. We wouldn't have Colin's story of the groups coming together and I, I, I believe the reason it's so emotional is because you're in your place. You've, mm. you've got an opportunity to belong because we know We've heard through Colin's story and, and I can give you plenty of examples growing up about how often 
a person with a disability is displaced and, and is left behind quite simply because of their disability. So mm. the opportunity to, to be where you belong in your group of people, the, the place that you choose to be, mm. and then have that, that coming together is amazing. And, of course, we've heard also from Colin how things don't always go, you know, how they don't work, how they can be broken, how the system can be broken and, and let people down. So when I was listening to Colin talk about, you know, the, the tough times he had as a, as a young bloke in the institution, mm. what I thought is not that they should be shut down, but they should be fixed. They should be managed so that we can still have these great opportunities to come together and to belong in, and to be where we belong, to be honest, which is our choice. Well, I'm going to challenge you on that because right we, we, don't, we don't want to be in furious agreement. We want this podcast to be robust. Okay, right? bring it. Now, come on, Don. Um, surely we should just have one Olympic Games with all the para yeah. events. We should all just have one inclusive event. What is wrong with that, Don? Well, it's, it's, it comes from a nice place, that thought. Yes. But in reality, I'll tell you what the reality for me looks like. The, at the Olympic Games, we have one 100-metre champion and that for men and a 100-metre champion for women. Yes. Okay, That's those two races are all done in 20 seconds. Mm -hmm. At the Paralympic Games, we have, and this is the wonderful thing about the Paralympic standing for parallel to the Olympics. So three weeks after the Olympics, we get an opportunity to see the best amputee, below-knee amputee in the world yes. race against other below-knee amputees. Yes. We also see the best above-knee amputees. We see the arm amputees. We get to see the best vision-impaired guys in the three different classes they've got and the guys in the wheelchair. So we get to see all these guys have their own platform to do it. If we combine them and come together, and the Paralympics also go for about two weeks. Yes. So you've got the Olympics for two weeks, the Paralympics for two weeks. If we were to combine all those events, I guarantee we would hide, we would lose people just for TV ratings, for the for the fact that there's a one big event, we can't maintain the interest, so we'd have to cut events. And so what we find is by creating inclusion, we're actually excluding people for it to fit with inclusion. Right. So for me, I, I hate the thought, absolutely despise the thought of the Olympics and Paralympics being combined. But am I smart enough to realise the whole world is watching the Olympics? Mm. Absolutely. So how can we, how can we fix it? Because I'm also a big fan of if you've got a problem, you've got to have a solution, otherwise you're only adding to the problem. The solution for me is to continue to have exhibition events that mm. do count for the medals yeah. at the Olympic Games because then the world can see that and go, wow, those guys with no legs or with an intellectual disability or that are in a wheelchair are bloody amazing athletes. Yeah. Where can I see more of it? Great. In two weeks' time, we'll watch the Paralympic Games. Yeah. So we absolutely can showcase some people, but I think including everybody because our hearts say it's the right thing to do isn't necessarily the best thing to do. Colin, what do you think about that? Does that make sense to you, Don's story about, you know, wanting all those people who, who compete in the Paralympics to have their chance and, and their opportunity? Yes, I agree. Uh, you've got the non-disabled people, you know, you've got them in the Olympics and their champion going up against other champions, just like Don was saying. And I think that's the same for us, that we to better ourselves maybe and to make more friends and, and like I said before, just trying to work out somewhere we can communicate with each other is, is most important. And uh, if, I, if I can 
uh, if I'm r- running in a hundred meter race and your uh, your your person with a disability is running the hundred meter race, good luck to both of us. May the best man or woman win. And I think that's what it's all about. That we're trying to uh, improve ourselves as well, and that we 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 need to have something just for us. I'm not saying I'm not trying to say we shouldn't incl- uh, do inclusion. I think that yeah. maybe that comes a bit later. So it's it's just really interesting because that those people who say, can't, why can't we just have one? Mm. You know, why can't we do this inclusively? Surely why that do would we be have better. To? Why do we have to do? Sorry, I'm getting angry. Why, why, why do we have to do what everybody else wants us to do? Yeah. How many of those people that are telling us what to do and when to do it have got a disability? Well, Colin, why do we have to keep listening to them? You know, why can't lots of we, sorry, with, yeah. why can't we just make our own decisions? Sorry, yeah. I'll cut you off. No, I, I hear you, mate. I, I, we, I hear you and your choice, and that is right. There's lots of opinions out there. Yeah, lots of people have an opinion, and sometimes it's well-meaning. But um, as you know, Colin, and I won't go on, but my daughter has attended a special <laughs> school her whole life. I, I love the idea of kids with disabilities being in mainstream schools. I would love to see that that grow over time, but I don't think the answer is just to shut down special schools and move those kids across. I think the special schools do an incredible job. And if we want to do the teacher training and all the things we need to do to make schools increase their capacity, then then let's, let's do that work. But inclusion is harder than most people think. Colin, let's talk about work, mate, the importance of work, jobs. Everyone needs a job, you know, we know, and you've got reinforce. Um, Colin, you know how important it is to get work and how proud you are when you are contributing and advocating for people and helping people. Um, can you talk a bit about the barriers you see for people with disabilities and work and what would you like to see in the future, mate? I'd just like to tell you a little story first, which is to do with yeah, what mate. you're just saying. Uh, we, did, we held a conference here in Melbourne and some people from South Australia came uh, and a meeting, a meeting had been organised between some staff uh, up in South Australia and me to go and talk to them. And uh, there was about six professional, I'll just say professional people, uh, and then there's me. Um, and I'm up there talking and like I am here on this podcast and saying different things and about what I believe and think and people with a disability and then when it came time for questions, the uh, there was one lady who was at that conf- uh, who was at that thing that I was doing in South Australia. She hadn't a question, but she wanted to make a comment, and her comment was, "How dare I stand up and say that I am representing people with a with a disability? I can talk." I can articulate. I know what I'm talking about. I know what I'm saying. She agreed with everything I was saying, but she was saying, I do not have the right to speak up and say, I am representing people with a disability. I didn't say that anyway. I was just saying that reinforce are the people that's representing the voice of people with a disability. I am one member of reinforce. In regards to pay, um, I remember I, I was doing some, uh, I got a job here with 
what was called the National South Advocacy Project, which later changed its name to People First Resource Unit. And I got the job as an assistant, assistant tra training officer. And I was working with a training officer. Uh, and it came time for my pay. And I think I got about $800 or thereabouts. And I'm thinking, crikey, have they made a mistake? $800? There's got to be a mistake somewhere. So I went to the person who, who does the typing and makes up pay and all that sort of, sort of thing. I said, there's been a, there's been a mistake. $800. $800. Crikey. I've never done that in my entire life. She said, no, no mistake. So I just said, wow, okay. And I went and banked that money. And I yes. think it's really, really important that people with a disability are given the chance to be able to do some work. Yes, they yes. may be slower in doing that work. Yes, it may take longer for them to do that work. But at least you would not have a, a more professional person that is going to be there every single day of the week from whatever time you start to whatever time you finish. You'll have them for the rest of your life if you want it. And I just want to plead with workers out there or bosses out there to please Please give people with a disability the chance and the opportunity to try and learn and to try and better themselves. Well said, Colin, um, because, Don, uh, with COVID, of course, and um, there's lots of people out of work at the moment, and then we have technology and robots, you know, mm. coming in. And you walk into McDonald's these days, you don't even talk to someone anymore, do you, to order your burger. You have to punch it into a bloody computer. Um, is it just getting harder and harder, mate, for people to get jobs? Yeah, well, there's no doubt, Phil, that, that you know, the world is progressing. And, and this is where we talk about, you know, is it actually getting better? Well, yes, we're progressing and we're experiencing a, an upsurge in technology more than we ever have in the last, you know, probably decade or so. I'm really interested around the, the same philosophies when it comes to opportunities for work. So um, I've seen, for example, people with disabilities and and going to a workplace and then being bullied, being segregated, not mm. having had the same opportunities. I'm wondering in, around workplaces where people with disabilities um, can come, can do a meaningful job, can have some mates, like Colin was saying before, want to hang out with my own mates, um, you know, those sort of workplaces, because I'm sure there's a case for people saying, no, it's not inclusive, we should shut them down. So, Colin, when I talked to you last, I think I was inviting you when when things improve, I'd love you to come down and see um, the logistics um, operation that we run, because I think I was telling you that when someone buys a scarf or a beanie or something from St Kilda and from Hawthorne Football Club, that a, that a person with an intellectual disability is picking and packing that, that product and putting it in a box and sending it off to them and the footy club pays us for all that work. So I'd love you to come down and see our workplace, mate, and you might even give us some ideas for how we can keep making it better. Um, but it's so important, isn't it, for people to feel involved and like they have a role in the economy and they have a reason to get out of bed. Yes, 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 and more yeses. I'd love the opportunity to do that one day when this virus has gone. Yeah, yeah, we'll definitely get you down. I also want to get you down to see the farm too. So, 
Colin, one other thing I want to touch on is the different groups inside the disability tent. Don is from one camp, you're the physical amputee group. You know, we have vision impaired people, we have hearing impaired people, we have the autism community, which is a large group. But the ID group, people with an intellectual disability, is one of the largest groups under the NDIS. But I don't feel as though people know much about that group. They don't hear from people like yourself very often. They don't, it's, I think it's the least understood part of disability. And that's what we're trying to change. Do you, do you, would you agree with that? Yes, yes, I do. Yeah. I'm, I'm not, I'm not sure how you do it. Uh, but yeah. yeah, maybe, maybe through podcasts, podcasts like this or, uh, maybe through news or maybe newspapers. Uh, yeah, the voice of people with a disability, as well as any other uh, group, uh, self-advocacy group, need, their voices need to be heard the same as anybody else. Yeah, Colin, we we have lots of barriers that we are alluded to, you know, in our industry around uh, people with disabilities. One of them is language and how we go about it. And people always mean well. But have you found language as a barrier for you at all? Most definitely, most definitely. Uh, I think it was 1980-something. Uh, we started a campaign where we're calling for plain English slash jargon. And um, now in 2020, we're still asking for plain English slash jargon, but it's getting a lot better than what it used to be. Okay. So people are starting to take that stuff on board. What do you mean? Give us some examples of some of the jargon that annoys you, Colin. What do you What do you mean? What are some good examples? Well, when I get when I get when I get minutes from meetings I've been to, uh, and it's not uh, not written in in plain English. Uh, when we get agenda, uh, agendas uh, sometimes wasn't in plain English, but now they're starting to put in plain English. Um, hmm. Just sometimes sp uh, people speaking, uh, they're speaking um, language that I've never heard of anyway, but it's supposed to be English. Can I, can I just say one thing? I just remembered. Yes, I'd gone to this meeting with a person by the name of Doug Pentland. who's a very good friend of mine. He's taught me just about everything I know. Mm. And we went to this meeting uh, one day, uh, and there was all these bureaucrats and people around the room and everything. Anyway, Doug and I were—I was writing down for Doug all these words he didn't understand, and there was yeah. one word he must have had about twenty or thirty letters of the alphabet or something like that. Anyway, when it came time for us to talk, uh, all we wanted to know was what that what that word meant and why do people have to speak in non-English? If you're wanting the voice of people with a disability to be heard, then you need to come to the party and speak in plain English. Um, and then there was this guy who was a, I think he was a professor, and he said, he came up to me afterwards and said, Colin, thank you for asking that question. I'm a professor, and I didn't even understand what it meant. <laughs> if he didn't understand, how are people with disabilities supposed to understand? We, we talk to each other. We want to understand each other. So it seems like a simple thing, doesn't it? Just to use plain English. Plain English, it just seems to make sense to me. But uh, I think that's, isn't it amazing when we, we really dig down, sometimes the thing that makes a progress, the most amount of progress, is just to include people. Keep it yes. simple enough to include everybody. It doesn't yes. need to be complicated. 
Now, speaking about inclusion, Colin, uh, I think you've also been pretty active around uh, politically and um, some, I heard a story about squatting in a house or something. You <laughs> tell us about that, mate. There was this house uh, that the government owned. Uh, I'm not sure how to explain this, but I hope you people can understand what I'm saying. Now, if you're coming from overseas to do studying here in, in Australia, then you were allowed to go live in that house while you were here and doing your studying. And then once okay. you finish, then you just leave and go back home. That house had been left empty for goodness knows how long. Uh, and we went to the minister, Tom Roper, at that time, and we wanted to know if we could use it for people with intellectual disability who were living on the street or are coming mm. out of institutions. His answer was pure and simple, one word, no. So we thought, okay, we're going we're gonna to do what we want, not what you're telling us to do. So we went back to Woman to Drummond Street, uh, and there was a, another advocacy group called the Squatters Union. They, 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 they were with us, and we got into the house of Woman to Drummond Street. And there was TV media, radio media, everybody there. And once Tom Roper heard that we were squatting in the house, he was, he was annoyed. So um, uh, he, he came down and he told us to get out. And we said, no, we, this, this house has been vacant for so long and we would like it for an emergency accommodation for people with intellectual disability. Anyways, he saw Namdenad and, and whatnot. And um, he said, I'll tell you what, if you come out and let the house be paint, we'll get painters to come in and paint the house. You can have the house for as long as you want it. But when we go to sell it in a couple of years, you have to go because then it won't be ours anymore. So we agreed. But how stupid does he think we would have been if we had got out of the house there's no way we were going to get back in again and we knew that so we just said no nah, we're not getting out we're going to help paint the house you know maybe things we can do anyway we did and then uh, at the end here we are on the steps of 112 Drummond Street opening a bottle of champagne with Tom Roper uh, celebrating our success <laughs> Great story. Great story. Can I just tell you one more story? It's an activist on, one. We were running out of funding and we wanted more funding. And uh, uh, we went to Tom Roper. He said, no, no, no. Anyway, a magazine that day, um, on the front cover was Mr. Uh, was Tom Roper sitting on uh, a bag of money. And, and the caption said, Dear Green Mr. Roper, we hope you have a happy Christmas. People with a disability won't. But that wasn't the, the activist I wanted to tell you about. We went and squatted. One of our members went and squatted in his office. A couple of days later, we don't know how the media found out, but there's media there uh, and, and newspapers. Here's a, here's a picture of one of our members, front page sitting behind Tom Roper's desk, reading the newspaper with his feet on the desk. He was absolutely fuming when he, when he knew, when he signed that, and he told us to get out. Eventually we did.
it's been such a treat, Colin, talking to you today and really getting a, an insight into someone who's lived the life. Absolutely. Yep. A different experience. Yep. Yep. And uh, been seen, seen a lot along the way. And it's pleasing to hear you say that things are getting better. There's clearly still more work to do ahead, but we are making progress. And I think the more that we hear direct from people with that sort of lived experience, because the trouble on today is that people who, I don't know, are 10 or 20 years old, don't real, can't understand Colin's journey through life yeah. and what institutions were like and why, why Colin can still tear up about some of those stories today, how, how damaging those settings were. And how good is that, though, Phil? How good is it that a 20-year-old can't understand? Because that means we've taken massive steps to, yes. to take this out of our 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 lifestyle, that they, that young columns of the world won't yes. go through that again. So, yes. yeah, mate, you fought the fight and uh, well done for that. It is absolutely fantastic to have you on board today on our podcast. So thanks very much for joining us, Colin. Can I just say one thing before we close? All I am asking for, for people with a, an intellectual disability or any other disability, all I'm asking for is the chance let us try. How do we know if we can make a cup of tea unless we, we try? Yes, we may burn ourselves, but at least we've tried. And please, please, I beg of you, please listen to our voices. Take us seriously. You're wanting to hear the voice of people with a disability. There's people out there like myself and Don and other people that are willing to talk to you. We can talk to you till the cows come home. But another thing I'd like to, to try and beg you to do, listen to us, take us seriously. If you can't do something, please don't flog us up. Please, let's sit down and discuss why we can't do something and see if we can get another alternative. Good luck and thank you. Thank you.